You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey everyone, welcome back to another podcast episode. So this is gonna be uh, the first of hopefully a new series and we're trying something new on here. So we're recording this about mid-August in 2020 and actually back in uh, February, before all the COVID stuff became reality to us, we'd actually plan a few in-person house hacking masterminds. The plan was to get uh, right around like like 10 people together in the same room. Um, you know, have dinner or have coffee and breakfast and actually just lead a mastermind. I'm a huge believer in that whether you're starting like, you know, a business or investing or achieving goals in life, I think having a core group of people with similar interests and traits is huge. I know when I was in college, I got going down the investing and business route. You know, I was like, I worry about this. And a lot of my current friends were, you know, they were doing a lot more keg stands and partying than, than I was. And I was like, Hey, it's always good to get, I think, aligned with like other people. Honestly, I'm not older than that now, but, but same train of thought. So I know a lot of people to get into investing. They're often on an Island with their current friends or family, not a bad way. Just say, you want to go this path and your, your friends, parents, uh, just don't know it, don't support it. And so we have finally gotten everything together to actually do some pivoting on here. But it's very clear that, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of virtual stuff probably well into 2021. So we want to start doing hopefully like a monthly house hacking mastermind. Um, and the whole goal is that we can actually do it with, a, you know, a small group of house hackers. And I'll be moderating it, kind of helping just kind of keep things going. We'll have a couple of core uh, hosts, uh, some repeats, some new guests in there, you know, as scheduling allows. We can mastermind on here. We can do some virtual networking, and then obviously we're gonna have like the video on YouTube, the podcast, and the audio on the podcast. And so it would be a really great concept. So just listen to it, listen to what feedback you have, how to make it better. If you want to be on the show, reach out to us. There'll be uh, details in the show notes on how to do that, or just email me, and I'll we'll know what to do, what we're doing then. Uh, but getting on with it, I've got two main co-hosts here with me today. And so the first one, Drew, is Ben Einspar, and Ben's kind of the one that actually got this uh, virtual mastermind going. He and I talked about a while ago, and then Ben kept it going, made it, uh, get it organized. So Ben, a lot of you guys are probably familiar with him on the, on the podcast. He and his wife, Allison, are uh, house hackers in Nevada. They've been on a couple podcasts now. They're doing some Airbnb stuff there. So Ben and Allison, glad to have you on here. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having us. And then our second co-host is Jeff White. And Jeff is actually what you're on your way. He's actually on his fourth house act now, I believe. Right, Jeff? Yep, that's right. Yeah. So I, I think Jeff has been on uh, three or four published podcasts. He's been a whole lot here uh, coming out after this house hacking mastermind. Uh, Jeff, myself, and Joe Massey, when we got locked down with COVID, we, re- we recorded like a 15 or so podcast series that we've now named the Ultimate House Hacking Guide. Really meant to be like a technical guide to house hacking in Denver. And the mastermind show will be a great way to help kind of like get all those nuanced stuff. Because no matter how great the content is, there's always details on, well, how the heck do I really do this? So Jeff, glad to have you on here. Thanks so much, Chris. Pleasure to be here. All right. So we're going to go through and give an intro to everyone else as well. And so this is in no particular order, but our first guest is Kendra. And Kendra has been investing in real estate since 2017. And she just got her first house hack back in April of this year. And she enjoys the versatility of real estate investing and is looking forward to her next investment opportunity. Glad, glad to be on the call, Kendra. Thank you so much for having me. 
our next guest are Carl and Jenna, and they have been living and renting in Denver for the past eight years. They bought their first house in August 2019 as a house hack, and they're renting out the garden level in-law suite as a short-term rental. And now they're doing a midterm rental, you know, anywhere from 31 days to about 90 days. And they enjoy the do-it-yourself experience of renovations, customer experience, and the supplemental income, which they are saving to reinvest in the future properties. Glad to have you guys here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Next people on the mastermind are Chris and Justiny. And they have been in Denver since 2019. And then in February this year, they bought their first house hack. And they're currently Airbnb the garden level uh, part of their house. It's a private one-one suite below the main part of their, their home. And they really enjoy the income as well as meeting all of their Airbnb guests. Glad to have you here, guys. Yes. Yeah, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. All right, moving on down, our guest list is Ivy and Luis. They've been in Denver for about three years, and they are actually closing on their first house hack tomorrow, uh, which is a duplex. It's a great, uh, great property, and they're going to be renting out the top unit, long-term model, while they're living in the bottom unit. They recognize the benefits of real estate investing, and they are looking to learn as much as possible. So Ivy and Luis, glad having a call, and congrats on your first place tomorrow. Thanks, Chris. We're happy to be here. And then I already kind of mentioned Allison, but I'll, I'll do it again to give you the official uh, introduction here, Allison. So Allison is, you know, Ben's wife. They're a couple. And uh, I love your description, Allison. Uh, she is a house hacking skeptic turned advocate. Her day job is in ophthalmology. Her background's in hospitality and the proud co-host of the private guest suite uh, Airbnb that uh, she and Ben run. So she enjoys the guest communication and watching the market for creative house hacks. Allison, glad to have you on here. Thanks for having me. And I have to tell you, the, the podcast you and Ben did, I, I think it was like three months ago now, we've gotten some really good feedback on other, uh, you know, uh, uh, fiance and uh, wife skeptics. You're like, oh, okay, they're still married. Uh, we should do house hacking too. So <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> actually, actually, awesome. they're still married and you're still alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, important factors. <laughs> yes. So Ben's done a phenomenal job. We actually asked some questions from all the guests here and Ben did a great job of filtering them and combing them. So I'll help lead them. And then, uh, Ben, Jeff, and everyone's out there, add your two cents, clarify. You know, ideally, we'd be sitting around a big conference table, getting jacked up on some coffee right now to talk. But right now, we're all sitting you know, all across Denver. So we'll do our best to replicate this. So, Ben, the first question, uh, you got the agenda in front of you there? I just lost mine. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I got the, the first one um, that I wanted to bring up to everyone was just basically – uh, your flexibility with rental strategies, whether you're having to adapt on the fly and go from a short-term rental to a long-term rental. I know, Kenda, this is something you brought up to me. Didn't you say you closed on uh, the house and had to switch strategies on the fly? Exactly, yes. So Airbnb is like my thing. So my other two investments, I do out-of-state Airbnb, which I totally love. And so that was my original plan with the house hacking. I wanted to Airbnb the basement. And as you know, since I closed in April, that's like when COVID started getting a little crazy and everything was unsure and I didn't know how it would really affect, you know, numbers and things like that. So, um, 
I instantly just switched gears completely 180, decided to find long-term tenants, do a one-year lease until this all kind of settles down. And then that way, at least, you know, I'm kind of secure for 12 months getting that cash in. I'd rather get a little bit than none. So it's just nice being able to be flexible with that. <laughs> so let's dig into this because this is interesting. So first, what, like, what's the location and property type of your house like here in Denver? So I have a single family house, but it's almost like a duplex. So the top level is completely separate from the bottom level. It's a separate entrance. Each level has their own laundry room. Each level has its own um, kitchen. Um, each level is a two bedroom, one bath. So essentially it's a duplex, even though it's zoned as a single family. Um, that's what made it so great for the Airbnb. Yeah. Being what part of town separate. are you in? This is in Westminster. Okay. Yep. And so what were you projecting like, and it sounds like you're an Airbnb expert. I definitely am not, but like, what were you projecting just like, you know, gross rent and then net rent after expenses and fees? And then what was it like after you pivoted? Yeah. So right now um, I'm doing 1850 for my long-term tenants for the rent. Nice. Yeah. Which isn't bad. That almost covers the mortgage. Almost. So like three bedroom, <laughs> two bath. It's a two bedroom, one bath. Wow. Are you getting that much for two, one? Yeah. Well, the house is like, completely redone like everything and it's brand new like brand new everything appliances very updated so i was able to i guess charge a premium which i feel lucky to do <laughs> and that someone agreed to do it so <laughs> um and oh what yeah were you and projecting for airbnb airbnb see i didn't know because i don't i haven't done airbnb in denver yet so okay. all of my numbers were very rough i honestly didn't know what i could get for it which is why i completely did my 180 and decided to do the long term did medium term rentals cross your mind no okay <laughs> not really yeah any any regrets with the pivot i know it's a hard question but i mean if you're getting 1850 to me that sounds phenomenal for two one yeah, I definitely don't have regrets. Um, I'm very comfortable and I, I feel lucky that I was able to find someone um, right away. So I don't have any regrets. I'm just like really antsy to get it on the Airbnb market already. <laughs> how long is your long-term rent or how long is your lease? Uh, 12 months. So okay, so April you'll, you'll next be year. out until next year then? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That is a really impressive rent for two bedroom, one bath. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I know. That is, is it, and it's a bottom basement unit too. So yeah, it's garden uh, level. Wow. I, I'm, I'm amazed you're getting them. Cause even like Jeff, you're, if you're in two bedrooms, what would you get for two bedrooms individually? Maybe that much. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just thinking of my garden level basement units and my best one's 1300 but it's also more basement with egress windows than garden level. So that mm -hmm. makes a difference. And it's not fully updated, like what hers sounds like. And then my top one's getting 1450. So that's uh, really impressive, Kendra. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. <laughs> so uh, Chris and Justin, I know, you know, you guys bought February this year, and it feels like eons ago. Um, but I know you were—I know you were Airbnb, you still are. Like, have you had to adapt or change anything with uh, with the changing market? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'll let you kind of go. We launched uh, beginning of March, so we had a lot of bookings right away for basically like March through May, yeah, would you say? Yeah, it was very exciting. Like it was almost, yeah. Like that day we got like 
quite what, a few. 15 yeah. Day we let it out. So we were pretty pumped. Um, but then, like, end of March, beginning of April is when COVID hit and everything was unsure and yeah. everyone started canceling all of their reservations so we kind of had to change our plan there yeah so on airbnb you can add uh, weekly and monthly discounts so we pretty much had all of april and may open back up um and we didn't know what the travel situation was going to be like with covid so we added like a 40% monthly stay. And then I think maybe a 25 or 30% weekly stay on top. Like that's taken off our normal Airbnb daily rate. So we ended up getting someone basically for the whole month of April with that 40% discount. So it's definitely not as good as what Kendra had. because <laughs> I think we ended up with was a thousand bucks. Yeah. That essentially they paid for the month of April for our place, um, which we were happy with because, <laughs> like, we didn't. Impressed. Yeah, and we weren't sure, you know, how often people would have been booking, you know, shorter stays during that time. So, no turnover, which was nice. No cleaning for us. So we had the full month of April booked, and then we had another long stay. I think for two and a half to three weeks, beginning of May. And that was maybe another 800 or 700, 800 bucks. Um, So that ended mid-May and then we went back. We took those two discounts away then because... Things started really picking up. Yeah, like mid-May, I'd say, is when things Mm -hmm. picked back up. So it definitely helped. Like those two things on Airbnb, the monthly and weekly discounts were big for us to just get through um, essentially... April and May. Um, but yeah, we're back to the normal, yeah. just no discounts at this point. Yeah. I remember us looking at each other one day and being like, what are we going to do? Like, is this even going to work Airbnb at this point? So being flexible was really helpful for us and yeah. um, just kind of going with the flow and taking the punches. Yeah. So what were you projecting? Um, what were you expecting Airbnb rents? before COVID? We were projecting, I think, yeah, 16, 1700 um, before COVID. So then we went down to about a thousand bucks for April and May. However, now that we're, now that we have good reviews um, and we're back to our normal daily rate for June, July, and what it looks like is going to be projected for August, we're probably going to make I think it's like 1700 per month with Airbnb and that's for a one bedroom, one bath, um, somewhat private updated. Yeah, yeah. Private entrance. And we normally block like a week off every month yeah. just <laughs> to not have Airbnb guests. So that's been nice because we still get, I mean, our mortgage is $2,000, uh, like principal interest taxes and insurance. So yeah. We're basically covering our mortgage with three out of the four weeks of the month book, so it's going pretty well. Oh, yeah. that's great. One thing that I that I really liked hearing is is you said once you started getting those reviews, it seems like once you start getting those reviews, it starts compiling in. Then especially when you get to superhost status, 
it sets you up above everyone else. And when everyone starts looking at possible Airbnbs, this is something Alice and I would check about every day is <laughs> you see your, your place start co- jumping up and up on the competition, kind of like a Google search engine. When you start right. searching mm-hmm. something, it, it shoots up higher and higher and you're able to raise your prices. Yeah. So we've actually recently been raising our prices every day, probably based on the market. <laughs> so we're seeing where, what, how high we can go. And I mean, yeah, you get more bookings and I think a higher quality of guests too. Yeah. Once you get good reviews better. and super host status, I think we've noticed quite an uptick in <laughs> just like cleanliness yeah. and respectfulness mm-hmm. of guests. Oh, so, so yeah, that's been quality tenant too. Oh, yeah. For, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had some rough, like somewhat rough at first, but questionable, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But a lot better now. So. Is that pretty normal for Supro status? I, yeah, I, I just don't know the Airbnb platform. Is that a pretty normal experience for host? I think people look for super host status. So okay. I guess they're getting more visibility to start with. And then, I mean, what plays in, in with it is, you know, you can kind of raise your price once you get good reviews and super host status. So a higher price probably attracts a different set of travelers than what you know, a $28 bedroom would attract. So mm-hmm. I think they kind of play what, off each other a little bit. Yeah. Would you guys say so, Ben and Allison? I would agree. We decreased our prices quite a bit when COVID started as well. We were, it always makes me a little nervous. We get those requests like, hey, can I pay you by the day? Or, <laughs> you know, like those types of things. And it's just not something that I want to deal with, I think when you get to a certain price point, I don't know exactly what that is. I feel like those, the quality definitely goes down and I don't know why maybe people associate price with value. Like they, they say you do, but um, yeah, we found the same. So, so Carl and Jenna, I know you, uh, when we were talking about it, you guys kind of were on the same timeline as us. And are you still having a, being effective with Airbnb? So our situation was a little bit different being um, in Englewood, Colorado. Um, We were kind of prepared for um, a little bit of a shakeup before COVID um, because the city recently um, started setting up their short-term rental rules. And in the meantime, just said absolutely no short-term rentals, put a moratorium on everything. So this was about, um, say, two months before COVID really started to affect everyone. so we kind of had to pivot pretty early on um and you know to abide by the city's rules we had to switch to the 30-day minimum stay which i guess puts us in the medium-term rental category um, which we've actually come to really enjoy you know we'd be able to host a few people since then um i think at least in these times we appreciate the you know less turnover so you know less time cleaning disinfecting things like that um and those medium-term renters they're sort of um, and understanding that, you know, they buy their own supplies and, you know, bring that kind of thing. So a lot less of us trying to fight for, you know, the essentials like toilet paper and soap and things like that to stock our Airbnb. Um, so that's worked out great. And we even had the opportunity to help out a friend at one point. You know, we had a break in our schedule and a friend that was, you know, going through unemployment. You know, we were able to give her a place to stay um, for a little while uh, to help everyone out. You know, it just felt great to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, she helped us out, too, with, you know, chores and, you know, a little bit of supplemental income as well. So I think it was a win-win. 
Um, but we're still kind of trying to figure out the whole uh, Airbnb, how to get back into the market because of the new regulations. Um, it's kind of making it a little bit cost prohibitive. Um, but because of the flexibility, I think we like the medium term and even open to long term now. Um, you know, just whatever seems to, to work and get us to our price point we feel comfortable at. So what, what's the layout of your house? What's the setup? It sounds pretty similar. Um, it's almost considered like a duplex, even though it's a single family. You know, we have the separate um, entrance to a downstairs unit. So we have the garden level. Um, I think it sounds like it might be more like Jeff's where it's um, sort of, you know, egress windows, but um, there is, you know, a walkout entrance and they've got their own kitchenette, their own bathroom, um, but it's a one bedroom. And we even keep a storage unit down there that, you know, guests don't have access to. So. And what, uh, what type of like medium term rental rates are you getting? So we've, it's pretty much come out to about 1300 a month. Um, and that's with a 48% discount on our nightly Airbnb rate. And okay. we have been booking it through Airbnb, um, which has actually been great because, you know, you get to find medium long-term renters and you get to see a profile, you know, they get to vet you, you get to vet them. Um, so it's kind of a great setup. And so is that a two one downstairs? Uh, it's a one 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 one. Okay. Yeah. So are your, uh, I guess who are the the types of medium to rent renters? Are you next to that Swedish hospital in Inglewood? Are you, uh, yes. or is it more like business nurses or business people or, or just um, yeah. We've been getting more of, um, actual like recent graduates or like right now we have, um, a student, I guess, yeah, he just graduated and he's doing his like internship around here this summer. So that was perfect. Um, and then I think our next, right after he leaves, there's like a week break. And then our next person is, yeah, a recent graduate um, from Pennsylvania who's thinking about moving out here. So he just wants to, you know, come out here and job hunt and see if he likes it. So uh, Ivy and Luis, um, are you guys... Uh convinced to go short-term, medium-term now after this? Well, I think um, we're still in the idea of going long-term. Um, you know, we tech, we close tomorrow, so we haven't really experienced um, any of what you all are talking about. However, we have already experienced have, having to be flexible throughout the process from a land, lending standpoint, uh, from thinking our ha the house we are going to purchase was a single family home for it. And then it being appraised as a duplex, we had to change our uh, lending strategy kind of halfway through the process on the fly. Um, and, you know, we're still moving forward. So the, the game plan is still continuous, but um, we've definitely had to be flexible and just adapt um, as we go. And I, I would say um, hearing Kendra's story and Chris and Justeni and Ben and Allison, um, I'm intrigued um, you know, because I thought that you had to be um, centrally located to have an Airbnb, you know, and I hear Westminster, Inglewood, and, you know, I, it's it's nice that, to know that I actually have more options because um, we're located in Lakewood. Um, and so it's nice to know that, you know, if anything ever happens or if we do want to try the Airbnb route that, you know, there there are options for us. So it's good to hear that because I thought that, um, being where we are located, um, that long-term was really the only option. Yeah. If you or actually anyone else wants that, we, we've got a, a, like a master air DNA account. We can run the comps for you on there as well. 
All right. So kind of opening up here. I mean, Jeff, Ben, anyone's out there just questions, comments, kind of talking about transitioning and, and how things are going during these times. Um, transition right now, we, uh, we start off on the Airbnb route, but now we're actually going through furnished finder. Um, Oh, really? And, yep. Allison's been doing an excellent job staying on top of Furnished Finder. What um, is that? So, Sorry. That? <laughs> what is Furnished Finder? It's It was originally created for traveling healthcare, traveling nurses mostly. So a lot of travel nurses will be on 13-week contracts, and I think a lot of hospitals partner with Furnished Finder. Um, and I think the benefit is um, medium-term renters that – have real jobs, real jobs that get background checks and drug screens and um, credit checks and all those things before they're able to work in these places. Now I think it's expanded quite a bit, um, but they do, it's a hundred dollars a year. Um, and I will tell you, I've talked to a ton of people and gotten minimal return messages. So it's a lot of work for a little bit of return, but if you get somebody in for three months, which we did for June through September, it's worth all those all that time you spent contacting people. But it's a really good second option. Um, it also does a free, well, not a free, a tenant screening in addition. So they will, you put in the tenant's information, it's called key check, and it, it will prompt them to do a background check or a tenant check, and uh, they will pay for it. So um, these are people with really set budgets with what their work's going to give them for a housing stipend. And so they pretty much know all the information they need from the get-go. So I think it's been interesting to work with, with them. So that's what we're working with. What type of rates are you seeing on the medium term? Because the, I'll say anywhere from about, probably about a dozen times the last year, year and a half, we've looked at it when like buying house tax rental properties. We've never been very impressed with like the, the medium term rental rates. I mean, it's been, maybe like about, I'd say like $200 more than a long-term rental rate. Um, and we just have never been impressed by it. Again, we're not experts, but I've never seen like a, a, a big price from, hey, Airbnb, great. You're going to like double your income. It's more work, but it's worth it. Meaning if you're like, hey, you do a lot more work for extra $200 a month. We're like, yeah, I've had yet to have clients go do it. So I'm really curious to hear you guys as guinea pigs. So, so if we look at just local comps, we've been talking about long-term rental and short and Airbnb. If you look, our the comp for our it's a one bedroom, one bath above our attached garage. I'd say for a long term unfinished rental is anywhere about eleven hundred, maybe twelve hundred a month. And our average monthly income uh, before expenses uh, for Airbnb was anywhere between nineteen fifty to to twenty one, even twenty two. But keep in mind uh, those were in the prime summer months. And what I've noticed. Uh, for medium term is about four fourteen hundred, I would say. But what I think is important is there's is if you start off with Airbnb, uh, we've noticed that do whatever you can to try to stay with the Airbnb or Furnish Finder because it's a huge pain to try to move all your stuff you have in there into a storage unit into your room just to try to get a long term rental in. So even if Furnish Finder you end up being just a little bit above um, the long-term rental. It's it's a win in our book. Yeah, the key is furnished, so you have you can just transition it super easy between 
an Airbnb or a one to three month rental. So there's a lot of flexibility, which is nice. So, so far, I mean, Ben, you're saying it's, or Allison, you're saying it's been quite a bit of work. Do you think it's, is the juice worth the squeeze so far? Do you think? Um, well, we had somebody for three months, so I'm, I feel pretty fortunate that we had somebody come in. Um, we've definitely lowered our price. Um, that's about 1200. We have it listed now for about 14 and we were significantly higher with Airbnb. That's fine. Um, so at first, no, I wasn't getting very much, um, very many replies or a lot of feedback or a lot of people just, you know, uh, had already found a place. But if you get one person in for the year, I think it's worth it. So, yeah. And, and the important thing, which we were lucky is we ran our financials based off worst case scenario. So when we ran it, we were like, all right, well, what we're going to do is, is do long-term and get, I think at the time it was like 1100 a month. And that was worst case scenario. But then when we started diving into the numbers, I remember Chris, I highly recommend air DNA. It's, it's excellent. Yeah. Um, very accurate, but is um, looking at it and um, and playing worst case scenario. But then if you start making more and you start going the medium term, long term, or sorry, medium term, short term, it's just icing on the cake and just don't plan on that extra income. So when unexpected things happen, because from what it sounds like, everyone, we're all having to adapt because I don't think anyone's ever gone through a pandemic like this what we're, we do, what we do naturally as we adapt. Yeah. And so we've heard from everyone and uh, Jeff, I know yeah. you've got, you know, you've, you've got a really impressive portfolio. You got a fourplex, you've got the, uh, you know, two single family homes are kind of like duplexes similar to what uh, Kendra and Ivy and Carl have described. And then you're in a, a house now with an ADU as well. Like have any of your strategies pivoted since uh, COVID? Yes. Yeah, so I was fortunate, um, I guess, split like those single families like duplexes. Basically, I uh, split them up where I'd have a long-term tenant on like upstairs or downstairs. And then I'd have, I live on the other side and then rent out by the room. And then I move out and then I rent, keep it the same, except I have a new person replace the room I left. So in a way, um, it, so like, I guess took away multiple streams of cash flow without having like, Oh, well, if this tenant loses their job, um, like that hurts like my whole entire property basically. Um, so, but I, so instead of having basically, you know, two tenants separately, it's now like five or six. So it spreads, it spreads out the risk. Um, and I just, the only thing I changed since all started was look more at section eight. So my current place mm. is what Chris described a house with maybe you live on the ADU section and in the front house, I it's six bedroom, two bath place. I rented that to a section eight family just to get more of that, uh, for sure income. Just what was the final section eight rent for this? 3000 for a six, six bed, two bath. Yeah. And, and in this part of Denver, Southwest Denver, there's not likely to, um, I would. I don't think there'd be any way I get that uh, type of rent because no. it's not that nice. <laughs> Dude, you have three thousand on. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then besides that, um, the other strategies I've done is really emphasize screening 
background, like even more so job verification and uh, background checks. Cause I feel like I've noticed there's been more people lying about like they're giving their friends or family, like saying, Oh, so-and-so's verify my job. So I make sure to get like paid, like really get pay stubs and confirm it's an actual place of employment. So I feel like people are a little more desperate right now to hide the fact. So that's something to watch out for when you screen tenants is um, they might have their brother as the, their boss or something like that, but with a fake name. Um, and then outside of that, Oh yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna finish. I was gonna ask another question. Oh, and besides that, um, yeah, I guess I like split it. I did Airbnb in my four unit back my first property. It was a great experience, but I remember and Ben and Allison could attest it's a lot of work uh, dealing with uh, <laughs> people going in and out and then cleaning with my partner. Uh, she, uh, yeah, it was, it was adventure every single time. And eventually we had a cleaner and then it, but I pretty much got off that. And I know it's a great strategy for some people if you have the right property and the location going to back to what um, Ivy was concerned about location. As long as you're priced right, you can get people even if you're not in the most popular part of town. Lakewood's still a great spot. You're still next to stuff. Um, so, yeah, the, I guess it's important just to have multiple strategies just in case. I think that's what the lesson learned in all this. And um, what I'm doing is working for me, what Ben and Allison are doing working for them. And, you know, having multiple scenarios like, okay, best case, medium case, worst case. So if you have to have a long-term renter and you can't do Airbnb, what do the numbers look like? And I think that's where uh, adapting to different changes or laws changing, like what happened in Englewood. Um, you know, you can't predict stuff like that, uh, but just important to have multiple strategies just in case. Is anyone going through um, tenants not paying rent? Um, I've had... See, a lot of people shaking their heads no. It sounds like you made a story, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, so I had uh, one of my, back at the four unit, the couple of the tenants lost their jobs right when it all first started, and I reduced the rent 25%. So they still made it. Um, and now they're all caught up again. They got their jobs back. Um, and then I had another tenant. A couple other tenants lose their jobs or get furloughed or reduced hours, and I worked with them on payment plans, but that's pretty much it. Everyone else is paying for Okay. Yeah. Anyone else uh, experiencing that? They're cool. So actually, I want I want to throw a, a a different question on out here, Ben. If you're if you're cool with that on the agenda, because I didn't realize this the timing of this when we scheduled it, since Ivy and Luis are closing tomorrow, um, and this is always a, you know the you know becomes the big question once you get something. Hey, Denver's a fast market, as everyone knows out there. It's fast. You're usually bumping other people and putting offers in. You lose out once or twice often. You get in a contract. Great to get past inspection. <laughs> and then, oh, crap, we closed tomorrow in their case. What can this everyone out there's a free fall? Like, what tips? They're, they're closing tomorrow. What advice would you give them since you've all been through that? I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> So let's see, Jenna, we haven't heard from you. Can I pick on you? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> well, when Carl and I closed, I think we were um, not, 
the basement needed a little bit of work. Um, so I know like there was some water damage in the wall. So we knew like from the get go, that was something uh, we had to take care of. And Carl could probably speak to this a little better than me, but I wanted to hire someone to, to take care of it, but he was really a do it yourself kind of <laughs> mentality. So uh, he went ahead and took a sledgehammer or something to the wall. <laughs> So anyways, it ended up taking a couple, like a month maybe to, uh, take care of the issue. Um, so I don't know, there are some unexpected things. I think once you, uh, close on a house, some things come up that, I mean, at least they did for us that we wouldn't have thought would have come up. So, uh, rather than like running it out pretty immediately, I think it took like a month or two before we started actually running out our house. Um, but yeah, Carl, do you want to talk about your uh, experience? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as a first time homeowner, we you know, moved in and saw, okay, we, we saw the potential, but we also saw you know, the problems that were uh, sort of holding us back a little bit. Um, so I personally wanted to jump right in and I've learned since then that it sometimes is beneficial just to take a step back and, you know, examine the problem and, you know, just see how it actually works if it's really a problem um, and kind of do a real cost benefit analysis. Um, Yeah. Because like Jenna said, I think that set us back about a month or so of getting Airbnb set up. Um, So if you look at that cost, maybe we should have just hired someone to do it, but um, I love the DIY aspect. So I, I don't regret it really, but thinking back um, it was a learning experience and, we don't just take sledgehammers to things that we don't like anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's my experience. Every time I try to DIY it myself, I'm like, yeah, I should have hired someone that would have been done faster. And that's usually my experience with it. Um, Kendra, I think you're the most recent newer house hacker since you bought yours in April. So this is probably the most fresh in your mind. What, What advice would you give to Ivy and Louise? Oh, goodness. All right. Well, and they're going uh, for a long term rental like you are, too. So this might probably be perfect advice. Yeah. So I bought my house supposedly turnkey. But as some of you know, when you're living there, you start seeing some things that aren't quite how they should be. And so right when I moved in, I was instantly like overwhelmed with like this long list of things I needed to fix, especially for like my tenants that are moving in. So I think like the best advice would be to just like not get too overwhelmed with a ton of things that you need to do. And just really kind of like what, um, Carl said about just like prioritizing what really needs to be done first and kind of just stepping back and just prioritizing, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that is something that Luis and I have been talking about like constantly is what do we want to tackle first? Yeah. Um, and I, like he is like more of a do it yourself as well. And I'm like, can we just hire somebody? And (laughs) so we're having these same conversations, you know? Um, and luckily, you know, our original plan was to kind of, um, slightly, uh, bring up the upstairs unit so that we could charge a slightly higher rent. Um, but actually we've had, uh, Luis's coworker's sister, um, she, she's interested in the property, um, which is great, but she doesn't want to pay what we wanted to get for it. So, you know, we were talking and we're like, well, let's just not do anything to it and just give her the lower rent. Um, and it's actually been perfect because, um, we don't, you know, 
our, our initial thought was we want to make it nice and get a higher rent, but we just don't know what's going to come up. Um, and so it's actually worked out fine if she actually signs, you know, that we really don't have to do anything to it as is, and we won't get it high, high as a rent, but it's perfect because there are so many other things we can spend money on or need to spend money on. Um, so we, we are constantly juggling, juggling that right now. Um, what's the difference between the, what do you, what's the current rent as is and what do you think the expected rent is and how much money do you put into to upgrade it? So we're going to ask for 1500 um, and then we, you know, we wanted to take out the carpet, um, and give them hardwood and, you know, update cabinet hardware and even put maybe stainless steel appliances in there. And we wanted to ask like 1600 or 1650. Um, and you know, that's even thought the thought in our mind was, is that even worth it? Um, you know, for $150 or a hundred dollars extra. Um, and so it's, it's nice that maybe, you know, we are able to, X that idea, give it some time, um, and we can think about that for longer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically the kind of simple math that we did in our heads was we'd rather get someone in there as soon as possible because if one extra month of rent would make up the difference of the 100 bucks a month or 150 a month, you know, it just so we have this person scheduled to come tour the house Saturday. Um, and we're thinking of keep it simple. It's our first one. Let's not, you know, overdo and overpromise ourselves. So we, you know, we have no idea what we're getting into kind of. So um, that's kind of the strategy we have at hand right now. Hey, Jeff, what advice would you give? Because I know you, you've done quite a few. Uh, I, I think you found some sweet spot in your upgrades. I think you've done a really good job on like the, the tenant type upgrades where they're, they're, they're great for rental properties for you know, making them durable, but also helping to maximize the rent but not go completely over budget. What would be your advice for hardwood over carpet? You said new hardware, um, stainless steel appliances. Like what's your, what's your thought on that, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, well, uh, hardwood definitely is, I guess I look at it from a, if you put it on your rental when you're a rental, renter um shoes stainless steel appliances hardwoods beautiful granite counters that's all great um but in that if you're looking for only 1500 i'm not sure if you need all that stuff uh especially if the appliances are unless they're really old and dated you're probably fine with whatever is there now and then the you know simple like door uh, a simple fix to make uh, cabinets look better is repaint them and put new hardware in and you get without having to buy brand new cabinets. Um, and then you can also spray an epoxy on the counters. If you have old, uh, that looks almost like granite um, just to make it a little more visually appealing. Um, those are some quick tips. Uh, baseboards, another easy one. Re paint is a great one. There's a lot of little things you could do just to, that don't don't cost a ton of money and still get that renter look if you're telling me you wanted like two grand or so for a two-bedroom then then i would say for sure get stainless steel appliances get probably redo the whole kitchen but if you're just looking for 1500 you could probably get it with this some minor do-it-yourself fixes um uh that you guys could do yourself 
Yeah, agreed. I don't even know if our area would support a $2,000 rent. Um, so, I don't think it would. Yeah, um, so I, I agree fully. Sure. <laughs> it's good to hear. Well, plus, you guys, I, th- I think for our call from the inspection, I think the electrical was the big stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's going to be, what, like, was it three grand or 3500 was the quote? Yeah, we still need to get an electrician in there and get um, kind of an overall scope. Okay. So um, we'll see. That was that. That's a big one for us. I think. Right. Uh, I, sorry. I think a challenge for us is just um, not only is this our first rental property. This is just our first house uh, in general. We've always rented our whole lives. Um, so keeping always in the back of our head that this isn't our home. This is a rental property, and we're living here temporarily until we can move on to the next one. Um, but that's just something we, you know, we, especially Ivy, want to do more. And then we have to back up and say, remember, we're here temporarily. This is a rental. Um, so that is just a little challenging. But And I'm glad yeah, you said that's, house. <laughs> that's an important thing to understand. Like I, I would, I mean, in the past, I've been, you know, kind of some situations i've written notes to myself where like i used to write like sticky notes and like slap on my bathroom mirror every day look at it and you know write hey this is a rental not your dream home or something i'd write things like that as reminders to make sure like oh yeah this is just this is that one chest moving the grand scheme of things just get this ignore this other crap out there any other guys got comments or advice for uh kind of from day one operations for them um, I will, I will attest to Luis and Carl about wanting to take a sledgehammer. I think <laughs> we were in the same thing uh, about, about remodeling. We, uh, we didn't see income, um, for the first two months, I think, cause we chose two to two and a half months. We chose to do it out ourselves because we did end up doing this, decide doing the Airbnb route. So we wanted to make it trendy and flashy and and make it our own but it it was work anyone who tells you it's not like i'll say every once a week it took us uh like i said two and a half months and once a week there's something we ran into where i was like crap that this is the deal it, let's just hire it. <laughs> i'm done i i don't know how to do this or and it was in the middle of the summer we had to go to home depot on a Saturday at noon, drive through Old Town Arvada, see everybody out having beers, drinking. It's not fun. <laughs> but the biggest thing, my biggest takeaway was, and for anyone who has maybe a little bit of general construction knowledge or can, can learn yourself through YouTube, is um, I, you don't learn when you're up there how to rebuild a bathroom, uh, ch- uh, fix up a kitchen you learn that you can learn just about anything you want to if you put your mind to it and you do your due diligence and you do your research you can learn almost anything what's your perspective on allison i saw you okay smirks on there while ben was talking um a couple things from a female perspective i'm a really grateful we did it all mostly ourselves because i felt really empowered and I learned a lot and I was really proud of the job we did, even though we almost killed each other working in no air conditioning, tiling that freaking shower that was so small, <laughs> but uh, we made it. But just a couple of things. The first thing is time. 
it's always going to take more time than you think it is. So if your husband says this will be done today, don't expect to be done before the end of the week. Just adjust your expectations and give each other a lot of patience. A. And another thing is don't get attached to the space. If you're not able to run it out right away, don't picture yourself living in that space. Just don't get attached to it. It's going to be a rental that helped us. Like we originally were going to live up in our Airbnb and run out our three, two. And so I kind of got attached to it at the beginning. I'm like, this is so cute and cozy. And, and then we changed plans and it was great, but it's better if you don't get attached to it. Females or the males probably. And then a uh, hot plate instead of a stove. If you don't want to buy a bunch of appliances, probably don't have to worry about a dishwasher or stove if you're Airbnb. I mean, there's a lot of places that just have a coffee maker and a microwave and a mini fridge. Like if you have more than that, you're doing pretty good, I feel like. So lots of options. We took out our stove, didn't replace it. Fire hazard, just get a small hot plate and no one's complained. No one's like baking cookies up there. So <laughs> yeah. Great. That's all I got. <laughs> no, that was that was that was great, uh, Allison. Yeah, I, I would agree with everyone else, Luis and I. Be out if you got someone coming on Saturday, let them walk and see what their reaction is. And uh, hey, if they'll take it fifteen hundred right away, and you guys have to spend a month and you know three, four, five thousand dollars, take that. But even though since it's say do not fall in the trap, you know it's a a friend or a friend of a friend type situation, still do the background screening. You know, go through Cozy or, or whatever. I know Ben and Allison and uh, Jeff can give some websites. Still do a background check, right, guys? 100%. Yes, even your friends will lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about that. Cool. Let's go back, and thanks for letting me slip that in there. What's the – we get some more time. What's the next question on there, Ben? Um, the next one is – for, it gets still on the topic of Airbnb and it's cleaning. Should you do it yourself or should you hire it out? Um, I know Chris and Jessany, um, you guys have been doing Airbnb a while. Have you, have you been doing it yourself or did you, did you hire it out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have been doing it, doing it ourselves but mainly because Chris works from home, so it's easy for him. And then I work three nights a week and then have four days off. So um, really like that alternative route for us is nice. We call it our part-time job. Um, and it's nice knowing that we get like the money versus yeah, the someone else. Fee. Yeah, the cleaning fee versus someone else. Um, our recommendation really is to, if you're starting Airbnb, to at least do your cleaning for like a month or two and see what your process is, how long it takes, um, and what really what materials you need for it before you hire on someone. We have had conversations, should we hire on someone or not, um, just to give ourselves a break, but... Shout out to Ben for the cleaner contact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. <laughs> uh, we haven't yet, and... We are a little surprised at times um, how dirty people can get, but if we're one night. Um, but I'd say on average it takes not us bad. 40 minutes, if yeah. it's both of us, to clean mm-hmm. our one one. So, I mean, we have a $25 cleaning fee. So, I mean, we're not, we're making barely above minimum wage, but <laughs> we're home all the time. Yeah. Or during the week, I'm home. So, yeah. 
it's not too bad. And then you can kind of keep tabs on what's going on with the unit itself. You know, if you have to tighten a doorknob or small little fixes like that, um, it's kind of nice to have that insight into it with the cleaning. But yeah, do it for a month or two. And then if you have the schedules that are available too, I guess. And then, you know, if you don't like it, I say hire it out. And then you have at least the knowledge to hire a cleaner um, and kind of know what's needed for the cleaning. So far, we're going to stick out the cleaning, it sounds like. But maybe once a month, we'll hire someone. (laughs) (laughs) What about you guys? Do you guys, does anyone else hire anyone out or DIY? Carl, what about about you and Jenna? Jenna, do you do the cleaning? Carl? <laughs> we uh we go the DIY the DIY route. Um it hasn't really been much of an issue. I think our cleaning fee is about the same, it's like thirty dollars a month or thirty dollars a stay. Um, which I feel like is a little bit low in our neighborhood. Some of the other comparable Airbnbs charge about fifty to seventy five. Um so, you know, I think that's probably because they're hiring someone out to do it. So since we do it ourselves, we can kind of keep that price low. Um Hasn't really been much of an issue, though, for the past couple months since we switched to the medium-term rentals. Uh, they kind of keep track of all of their stuff themselves. Um, they move out, and then, you know, we do a thorough cleaning, and we keep a few days booked here um, at the beginning and the end of each day just to make sure that, you know, because of the virus, we want to follow all protocols. Um, other than that, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with hiring it out. Um, I know Ben had mentioned it Um but we're trying to stick out the DIY for now. Could you touch on the, the protocols? Um, well, we probably need to brush up on it since we've had a long-term stay. So I haven't looked up on it for the past month or so. Um, but the last we checked, I think there was 48 hours in between stays that we required. Um, and, you know, they just basically had a list of all this chemicals, you know, what you alcohol um, to disinfect, uh, the difference between cleaning and disinfecting. You need to do both. Um, it's not one process. So, you know, um, and Airbnb has all those resources, whichever, um, application you use or platform you use, I'm sure they have their own guidelines. They also do a discount on cleaning supplies. Oh, nice. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Nice. Probably, there's probably quite a back order. It's hard to get cleaning supplies just about anywhere, but yeah, yeah, they did a lot of stuff recently. So I'm in the process of going through all of it as well. Well, what about the uh, next question there, Ben? All right. Um, next question, we're going to kind of switch from the short-term rental over to renting um, uh, by renting by the by the room and managing on a day-to-day basis. I'm really curious to see what Jeff has to say about it, but managing a house hack on a day-to-day basis and being able to effectively use technology or even automation um, by tracking your rent expenses, and then same with hospitality and putting your personal touch on it um, and making everyone, making your guests or your tenants feel at home. Yeah. So this is, let, me, let me preface this. Let me interrupt you first, Jeff, because yeah. uh, I remember one of the things when, we, when Jeff got his fourth house back here, um, there were a total of nine bedrooms in between the front house and the ADU. Uh, Jeff walks and he's like, oh, it's great. Plus there's actually 10 bedrooms or another bedroom could 10 bedrooms. So Jeff is like the perfect dude to talk about running room by room. Cause he knows, uh, he knows how to optimize it. <laughs> I want to preface it with that. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Yeah. The current one's really, really, uh, really big. It's like the ultimate, um, house hack. 
Uh, but yeah, to answer Ben's question, Ben Allison's question, the uh, pretty much I just don't have, I just use technology to my advantage. So I don't take rent at all by checks or cash. I just do Venmo, PayPal, or Zelle, whichever one they have. And if they don't have one, I pretty much tell them I don't take anything but those three. So it pretty much they sign up for it. So, and then I have one tenant that does cozy cozy as well as the background check and credit check, um, website. And they also do, you could get rent through them, but they have a five day delay. So when they, it's really, um, more time issues than all those three I just mentioned before. And then dealing with, uh, use also using technology, pretty much I establish, um, kind of like, going back to college with office hours, I pretty much tell in the front end saying to each of the roommate tenants, um, and even the ones that I move out, you just can't call me at the middle of the night unless it's like a true emergency, like only between these hours. And then most of them, since that demographic that rents by the room is younger, they mostly text anyways, which then it gives me time to deal with the, assess the problem and then deal with the problem with whatever the issue is, whether it's, you know, something uh, went out, like um, the door, they got locked out or whatever the issue may be. Um, and then also establishing kind of going back to the front in the house rules. So a lot of the problems, I think, when you, again, going back to the college days with roommate conflicts is there people just have no expectations. They just go into living with a bunch of roommates and, mm-hmm. You know, some people have different levels of cleanliness, different levels of partying. Um, and then going into after college, that also is true. Um, so a big thing I look for is that front end is like, okay, here's the house rules, here's quiet hours, here, you know, pretty much avoid a lot of those potential conflicts in the front end. So the only questions and concerns I get usually is small little things that some, like the ice maker doesn't work or... Um, so-and-so is parked in front. Could you ask, uh, ask him, I can't reach him. Could you try and call him? Cause uh, his car is blocking mine or whatever the case, like something small, like not, um, petty roommate issues of, Oh, uh, Tyler ate my food last night. Uh, could you, you know, tell him he's a jerk and, uh, get my, get my, uh, sandwich back, please. Yeah. Nothing dumb like that. Or like, Oh, the, Someone, uh, another thing too is the living room and kitchen. Pretty much when you share it with that many people, uh, that's also a potential conflict. So we make it pretty much the living room as uncomfortable. Think of it like a waiting room. You want to sit there for a little bit, but not too long because eventually it gets too uncomfortable and you have to get up. So we make our living rooms like a waiting room and avoid people just taking over and like playing video games or watching TV till three o'clock in the morning or, you know, whatever, like they just pretty much go there, uh, you know, get food or cook something. And then they go there like pretty much 99% of the time they stay in their rooms. And that's, I think the most effective way. Sometimes they, you know, they talk to each other friendly, but they're not, I don't, I'm not trying to build a community here of, you know, harmonious, uh, time where everyone gets along and they all cook together and have meals together. Like that's, you know, great if that's what you want, but that could also lead to conflicts. And that's, uh, I think using that front, going back to that front end 
when you establish it up front, the rules and like how things are, and you establish a clean and really uh, good quality place, then people respect that, or at least most people do. And then all it is about maintenance. And then maintenance goes back to just taking care of things right away. And um, I'm really good at following up with people or getting the right contractor in if I can't fix it myself or if it's something beyond what I could do. And I am not a DIY. I shocked myself last time I tried to uh, change a light bulb. So I try to avoid that stuff. <laughs> um, but I do have, uh, and that's another thing too, you'll have to think about if you rent by the room, just having, or any, any of these places for future, once you get past the first one, you're going to have to have someone that could like, unless you have a lot of time yourself or really good at fixing things, you, you're going to have to have contractors that could fix electrical plumbing, uh, HVAC furnaces. Cause things that's the thing I tell Ivy, um, things will break. Unfortunately, no matter how nice things look, how new all the appliances are, um, they'll break. Or if they, if they don't break, um, when you're there, they'll break when the tenants are there. That's the, uh, I think a fair assumption to make. Um, so make sure you have good contacts cause it's, it sucks to call some furnace repair person in the middle of the night in the middle of December to fix your furnace. If it could have been avoided from changing the furnace filter. So things like that. So that's all. And I'll give a quick, quick plug here because part of, uh, I mentioned in the beginning of the call that we did like the ultimate house hacking uh, series back in end of April. And so Jeff did a phenomenal job of really outlining a lot of like steps and resources. So there's a super detailed podcast coming out and also there'll be, uh, it'll be in a, a blog post and also a chapter in the book. It's all based on the same information. Pick your, you know, pick your poison. Uh, but he did a really like thorough, detailed job in there as well. So, what would you give? Kind of going back to Luis and Ivy, what would you recommend like for like the first couple action steps for them getting in with like, you know, what what app to use, all all that type okay. of stuff. So, cozy, definitely get a cozy account right away. Um, that's probably the first thing you should do. There's also um, TransUnion has MySmartMove.com. That's another good one, but cozy.co, not com.co, uh, is the best one. Cause you could do a little, you could do everything in there. You could do background credit screening. You could do collect rent payments, um, for all your properties. Um, and what do you do with, um, when you receive the money, what do you do with it? Does it go in a separate account? Um, or do you yes. keep it in your personal account? Um, and I'm also just thinking like when taxes come around, like yes. how do you keep all that organized? Yeah. So if you haven't done so already, I'd go to your bank and get a sit, just get a new, another checking account and then have all your rent payments go there. Um, so if you have like your future tenant, let's just say they use, um, Zelle and they pay that way. So you just have them Zelle to your account, and then you have record keeping of all that for, when you buy your next place and it makes it really simple. Pretty much the goal is you want to be able to track it. The worst thing you do is take cash and you definitely don't want to take a check just because I've had uh, previous tenants bounce checks on me and that's always annoying to go back to them. So don't even mess with checks. Um, and then cash, of course you don't want to do that because you can't really track it. So yeah, definitely do separate account. And then also if you can get a separate credit card or, debit card. So when you purchase any supplies or for your repairs or anything, 
you can also, it's only on one card, not on your personal accounts. Cause then when you have it on your personal accounts, you're kind of commingling your funds and then it's makes it more challenging. So if you ever had to get audited or worst case scenario, hopefully not, um, then be like, okay, show us, you have to go through all your personal accounts and figure out, okay, did we, did we buy this thing at Home Depot for ourselves or was it for the, yeah, that's, you pretty much avoid that question. You're saving yourself a lot of hassle there. So yeah, separate account, bank account and separate credit card as well. That's really smart. Yeah. The yeah if you don't get a separate credit card, you know, again, if you're just doing minor repairs, just get the free debit card with every account too. And that we don't have like 10 credit cards down the road, but just a debit account to run it because that tracking, I, you know, I've had different properties, different businesses over the years and keeping it simple, stupid for tracking is such a lifesaver come tax time. It's, it's, it's in my mind that, uh, that time savings far away than any credit card points you'll get. Right. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd be curious if everyone wants to go around, like what banks do you guys use? Like, cause I, and there's, I, I use ally. Like I'm always curious, like what, what banks do you guys use for like, you know, multiple checking and savings accounts? I'll start here. I started my um, real estate investing career in Omaha, Nebraska. So I have a couple out-of-state rentals as well. And um, I use it's just First National Bank. They're starting to branch out towards uh, Colorado. But kind of similar to what Jeff said is within my First National Bank account, I can create subcategories. So uh, for my rentals in Nebraska, I have a subcategory that, that goes to that Um and then I keep receipts, but um, it can definitely be um, done, managed a little bit better instead of having a stack of uh, receipts that I send to my accountant. Come on. All right, Chris and Justin, I'm just going across the top of my video screen. What, what, what banks do you guys use for your Airbnb stuff? We use uh, Charles Schwab. So okay. I think you can have multiple checkings and savings accounts. Um, no fees on atm withdrawals so that's nice and then it's just i mean you can have you know an ira brokerage account with them so we do most of our stuff with schwab it's pretty okay. good what about you jeff uh so i got chase wells fargo elevations credit union um why do you have well. so many other points Okay. <laughs> that doesn't more. surprise me, knowing you <laughs> The companion pass, if you guys haven't uh, heard of that, maybe when all this is over and Chase still offers it, it's a great deal for you and your partner. And all, you, all it takes is two credit cards with Chase. And you have to spend a certain, it's like $3,000 in four months and then for two cards. Um, and then you get 100,000 points. And then that you could use that for... Southwest Companion Pass, and it's a really good deal for one year. I got that a couple of years ago. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And what we did, if you get it, uh, whenever you hit that, like, like 100 or 110,000 point threshold, you get the Companion Pass the remainder of the year and then the full time next year. So do it early in the first year, and you basically get like a year and a half, year and three quarters out of it. Especially if you're paying for renovations, you should get some kickback for that. Yes, that's that's funded all of our all of our big travel expenses. Is is I call it credit card hacking. Never mind. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> it does a lot too. What about uh, you guys, Carl and Jenna? Um, we use Belco Credit Union. Um, I think the reason we chose that is because they give you 
2.25% like interest in your account, which is pretty account. Yeah. For your checking account. Wow. Yeah. It's super high. So we did research before that and so far it's been awesome. Yeah. And like uh, Jeff said, we, you just opened a separate line on that. That's just, you know, how, so income coming in and spending for the house going out. So super easy to keep track of that. And then of course, take advantage of those uh, Home Depot promotion cards when we can um, to get the interest free whenever there's a small project here and there. What about you, Kendra? Last yeah, but so not least. <laughs> I have three different ones. I have uh, Chase, which I do for my credit card for like my purchases. I have a separate like business credit card. And then for like my incoming stuff, I use Ally Bank and Belco. So. Are you doing Belco for the same interest rate benefit? Yeah, the interest is crazy. Yeah, I've never heard that. Promotion, like if you sign up, you get like a two hundred dollar Amazon gift card too. So I was like, heck yeah, sign me up. (laughs) That's a good deal. I do know I've had a lot of lenders. um, A lot of them, and I don't know if partners the right word, but they refer out to Belco because a lot of them have sung like Belco's praises for their their HELOCs. Um, I never used, but I know quite a few lenders say Belco has some great HELOC products. So it sounds like you got some good checking account products too. Because have your guys' interest rates on there dropped the last couple of months? Because my ally savings account was like 2%, 1.9, 1.8, 1.7. Now it's like sub one. Is it still the same at two and a quarter? Damn. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. All right. But I think we have time for one more question, right? Yes. Uh, we, we, we did um, kind of already talk about it, but it was the, the rehab uh, higher out of pro- and pros and cons. I think we covered that one in pretty, pretty good detail. One thing I wanted to, wanted to kind of ask, kind of throwing a curveball out there is, um, we did talk about travel, uh, managing out of state. Let's say you, you're out of state for a week or two. Has anyone ever had to do that? Well, Kendra, you managed, you said two out of state Airbnb, Airbnbs, right? Yeah, so my first two Airbnbs, they're in Branson, Missouri. So I manage those myself from being in Colorado. So I have all my systems and teams set up over there. So I feel pretty lucky to have that set up before I moved away. So like I was, I first managed it while I was living there, which was easy. And I kind of set it up, systematized it, got my team together and then moved away. And so it kind of worked out um, setting it up before I left. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but, but I think that's a great point. Cause, cause whether you're, you're managing it full time away or you're, you know, you're gone for two weeks on a Southwest trip somewhere. Um, if you've got the systems in place, it's, it's the same. I mean, can you kind of give a more detail on like, what were the, like, what was the toughest thing or was like the, the, the biggest wins for you in actually creating that system? Because that's, I, I think it's much easier said than done. Absolutely. Yeah. So for Airbnb, um, finding a good cleaner, reliable cleaner, that's going to actually show up when you need them to was the hardest part for me. Um, and especially when I expanded to having two, I only had one really good cleaner that I could count on. So say I had a turnover on the same day at both of my places, she obviously couldn't be at both places at the same time. So just kind of scaling in that matter was difficult finding people you can trust. Um, and then of course things happen, you know, like, um, people get sick or there's a snowstorm and they can't get to your condo or things like that. So I think dealing with things that are kind of out of everyone's control was a little more, uh, difficult. And I'm still kind of struggling with 
um, figuring out how to deal with things like that. Um, I've had a lot of situations come up where, you know, my cleaner that's scheduled for the day um, has a family emergency and can't make it. So I'm scrambling, going down my list on my team to figure out who can cover for her and just last minute things like that. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with that. And how long have you been away from running that long distance now? Uh, two years. I moved away in 2018. So That's impressive. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's, it's really fun. <laughs> so how, how involved out. are you uh, long distance then? Well, um, I do all the guest communications and all the scheduling for my cleaners, buying supplies, shipping them to my cleaner's house so that they can stock it up. Um, okay. And I deal with any like maintenance issues that I receive. Um, but as far as like hands-on stuff, like I have my team over there and I just text or give them a call, tell them what needs to be done. And that's kind of how it goes. But I deal with all like the guest stuff. I have a question for you, Kendra. Yeah. Um, I guess I've stayed in a good amount of Airbnbs and something that really, uh, distract or not distracts me, but I don't really like about the Airbnb is the list price versus what you'll actually pay. <laughs> so, you know, you're scrolling down you're like, Oh great. This room is $95. And when you go to pay, it ends up being $300. Um, and, and my question really is if you have to pay for all those services, cleaning, everything else, can you still be competitive with someone else who's doing it all themselves? who can list that cleaning fee for $25 instead of 90, you know, who can make that end price just cheaper in general. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I do get quite a few inquiries from people saying like, Hey, I was about to book your place, but the price jumped up like $200 from like all the Airbnb fees and cleaning and blah, blah, blah. So what I do my, for my strategy is I do a lower nightly rate so that my, uh, my place comes up um, like higher on the list, I guess. And then my cleaning fee is um, basically what's across the market. So um, my cleaning fee down there is $80 a night, which is pretty standard. There's some places that go up to like 100, 125. So I'm kind of on the lower end for the cleaning rate, but then I just lower my nightly rental. So that way I also get a higher occupancy um, and it's more attractive to people looking, you know, I don't know. That's kind of my strategy. I just lower the nightly rate to kind of offset the higher cleaning fee. I love how you mentioned where, where you know where you're, you sat in the market. So where you, you knew it, it, where your cleaning fee were as it relates to your competition. Mm -hmm. And same with your other local competition by scoping out your comps in the area and being able to, to manage it and know exactly where you're at. And so you know, on the weekends, maybe I can charge this weekdays here and make sure it, keeping that occupancy rate high. Yeah. I'm all about the occupancy rate, you know, I'd much rather be booked like 95% at a lower rate than 70% at a higher rate. I don't know. So, so is your goal around that 95% occupancy rate? I like anything above 85, honestly, okay. 85 is like my magic number. Um, yeah, that's my goal. Is, is that kind of based on like, just kind of like a sweet spot or is that just, like I said, just like, being being full versus vacant um i just think that's a like a healthy i don't know honestly that's not really like a science to it honestly that's just okay. kind of like how i feel it's like a good balance between where i feel comfortable pricing it versus you know 
getting it too um, too high to where people don't book and I lose out. So. And so um, I imagine that because, it, you know, it sounds like a good amount of work, but I imagine that that's still more than you would get if you were to long term uh, rent it out. Is that true? Uh, for that you know, market, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a big tourist town. So, um, okay. That makes yeah. sense. I guess it just varies on market. So down there mm-hmm. for sure. Where is it located? You said it's in Branson, Missouri. Okay. Did yeah. COVID, uh, how, how much did COVID hurt your tourism traffic down there? Honestly, not a lot. Real? Like okay. in March and April, I got cancellations, but then right after those cancellations came in, I got booked again. Like people were still going down there and are these much are still more like open. a cabin town, like cabin resorts or just condos um, or what are these? They're condos. It's a condo resort. So there's okay. a bunch of amenities and things like super close. So cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that you stayed stayed pretty full then. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, I know we're coming up on the uh, the 30 minute mark. Can I start wrapping things up? We got a few minutes left. Um, any final questions, thoughts, any, any anything you guys want to throw out there? I had a question um, that actually I sent over to Ben, and I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get to it. Um, but Luis had mentioned, for example, in our case, um, we had to switch over to FHA um, financing because it ended up being a duplex. Um, and so our question is, you know, we want to refinance into a conventional loan because we basically want to use our FHA in the future if we want to do like a larger multifamily. Um, and so we're, Luis and I are having conversations about where we want to put our money so that if we get it reappraised in a year or even sooner, how can we basically get the most value out of the home? You know, so um, the conversations we're having is, do we reinvest more money towards the principal so that we somewhat pay down the equity uh, faster? Or do we put money towards, um, you know, uh, renovations? So in our case, we could do the kitchen, but, you know, our windows also have to be replaced. And so we're trying to figure out where our money should go so that we can basically get that 15% equity faster because 15% is the goal uh, for us to refinance into a conventional. Um, And so we are trying to wrap our minds around where we should invest our money to basically get that equity as fast as possible. I don't know if anybody has any experience in that, um, but that would be helpful. <laughs> I, I can share a few thoughts here. The, the first thing is it's do, doing appraisals is one of the hardest damn things in real estate because yep. you're going to have three appraisers go out there and they're all three right. It's very frustrating. Um, and sometimes appraisers, like I think your guy, your appraisal came in pretty high over list price, right? Like, yeah, I came in like, $32,000 over. Yeah. I mean, so that right there is, is, you know, is a good chunk. And I mean, sometimes if you use it, if you go back and do a refinance in the first year, you can go out there and do that, uh, use that same appraisal. So um, like, for example, I just refinanced one of my properties. I was able to use the same appraisal from about a year ago, just because interest rates dropped. I wanted to refi it. So it's actually a cheaper appraisal rate. And they use the same appraiser. I'm sorry, the same appraisal report. And I don't know if they use the same appraiser. I was hoping they would because the appraiser, you know, they put on their comments, oh, yeah, I should appreciate around 3% a year or whatever. 
Well, what he wrote a year ago, if it appreciates 3%, well, you know, this is an $800,000 property. That's going to, you know, that's 20000 some dollars right there. It's a lot of money. So definitely I'd rec recommend working with the same lender because um, they might, they can help navigate some of the nuances there. And a lot of times, you know, if you're going with the same, like, you know, uh, like the same, like Fannie to Fannie or Freddie to Freddie type refi, like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type refi to refi, they have some of their own internal underwriting guidelines as well, where they can um, do a limited appraisal or reuse the same appraiser and that's appraisal and that should help bump things up. Um, as far as what's going to get you the best, you know, bang for your buck, it's really hard to say. I highly doubt it'll be the windows. That type of stuff usually doesn't like, you know, bring up the value. Um, how I would recommend right now, because you'll, how, when's your goal to have that 15% mark? Is it before the one year mark? It's hard. You know, we want to do it sooner rather than later um, because interest rates are so low. Yeah. Um, so we w would like to just keep, you know, the interest rate as low as possible. So it's not, it's not like we have a deadline per se, but um, we just would like to keep interest rates low. Yeah. Have you, um, after this call, we, we should, uh, you, me, let's talk, let's reach out to Troy and get some ideas going on. You were going to Troy on the lending on this, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, talk with Troy about this. He might be able to get some insight on here as well, especially since your appraisal came in high, um, that this becomes very, it's much more of an art and a little bit like, Hey, hopefully we just get lucky. Um, I would not start putting money towards principal. Um, because what we can do as well, and maybe say in six months or whatever it is, like, you know, run a CMA, see what else the market is doing and help you to feel, hey, this came over here with a couple of these features. Hey, maybe spend eight grand on this, this, and this, and help bump it up. Or it might be like, hey, let's keep it as is, do the, do the appraisal and just, you know, uh, have it reappraise and, and use that money when it comes to refi to help put more money towards a closing table. So I want to start prepaying your principal right now because once it is, that money's kind of like locked in there. Mm -hmm. But keep that cash on hand either for improvements or when it comes time to refi, if you need to bring more money to the table, hey, great, it appraises for, you know, $30,000 more, so you're at like, you know, 13%. Okay, if we can bring an extra uh, 10 grand to the table, we well, can write a check at that closing then to get enough oh, equity to get that 15%. Well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So definitely that don't prepay, um, would be one of my recommendations. Unless, okay. like, I'm thinking I'll definitely talk with Troy about this, um, but. Generally speaking, I would not prepay. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, it does seem like an art because um, the appraisers never really, I don't know, you never know what to expect with them. <laughs> no, I mean, so, so this house, I re, this, this is actually a fourplex I refied. The first appraisal when I bought it came in at 670, which was like 170 grand below purchase price. The second one came in at 855. So, wow. I mean, that, that's the biggest gap I've ever seen in my experience as an agent investor so far, but and again, a gap that big isn't quite so common, but you'll definitely see swings and like, how, how does one appraiser, how are they almost $200,000 difference? Um, obviously right. I thought the first one was wrong, but my opinion doesn't really matter, you know, as the buyer. Um, Cool. So we are at the uh, 30 minute mark here. So or the uh, two 30 minute marks so will wrap up here. So I've had some ideas since we've been doing this. I would like to really like the goal is to keep doing this every, hopefully every month or so, get some people networking, uh, new guests, returning guests on here. So listeners out there, check the show notes and guests today. If you guys are willing to share like as you know, uh, contact details, uh, you know, whether it's name, phone, email, social media handles, 
you want to share links to your Airbnb listings or whatever it is, like I think the more we can share, the better it is. Obviously, share what you're comfortable with, um, but it'd be great to have in the show notes a little bit of you know headshot profile, and now we actually start building a little bit of community here as well to get people connected. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you for coming out. Appreciate everyone helping out. And Ben, thanks so much for kind of quarterbacking all the details on us, man. You did a great job. Thank you. I appreciate everyone taking... Uh, or oh, wait, 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 wait. Is this like the Airbnb where Allison's doing all the work? <laughs> like how Allison on here? Yeah. <laughs> so I had, to, I, I had to rub you on that one, man. I worked, I worked really hard. <laughs> that wasn't true. This was all Ben, by the way. No, no Ben, he did a great job, man. I had, to, I had to bust your chops from our previous conversation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Cool, guys. Well, it was awesome. Um, and we'll see a lot of you next month. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.